Welcome to the New England Law Review on Roman podcast. I'm Volume 48's Executive Online Editor, Louisa Gibbs. And I'm Volume 48's Editor-in-Chief, Mike Martucci. The New England Law Review is the flagship publication of New England Law Boston, which is located in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. To learn more about our institution, visit the website at nestle.edu, that's N-E-S-L And to learn more about our publication, go to newinglrev, that's N-E-W-E-N-G-L-R-E-V dot com. There, you can find our most recent on-remand article about how the Massachusetts Appeals Court treated the concept of consent in artificial reproduction in Ocali v. Ocali. We also have our most up-to-date Massachusetts Criminal Digest, Issue 1, and our print issue. We are joined today by Professor Natasha Variani, Faculty Fellow of New England Law Boston, to discuss her latest piece of scholarship entitled... Taxing Electronic Commerce, the Efforts of Sales and Use Tax to Evolve with Technology, which explores the imposition of sales tax to online retailers and how those online retailers, particularly Amazon.com, appear to support this move. Professor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Professor, could you please start by briefly explaining how sales tax is presently charged within states? All states but five in the United States charge sales tax. Um, It's a tax that's charged per transaction. Instead, we usually think of tax as charged as a percentage of your income. That is not so with sales tax. Sales tax um, is set by statute as a percentage of each transaction charge. So when you go... Um, and buy a coffee, you might be charged six and a quarter percent um, of that amount in Massachusetts. Legislatures set both the rate, the percent um, of the sales tax, as well as the items on which sales tax is charged. In general, sales tax is charged on every transaction, and then legislatures set a list of exemptions, um, a list of items that are exempt from sales tax. For instance, medical devices, home health Um, educational books. There are things that the legislature wants to encourage people to buy and therefore exclude from the sales tax. So, Professor, why is it important for states to seek taxing online retailers? Um, And specifically, what are the advantages and disadvantages of doing so, if any? So, the main advantage for states charging sales tax is that it's a major source of revenue for states. Overall, there are um, there are different types of tax, and sales tax is a, is a giant revenue generator for states. It's the way that states make their money. It's a way that states help to support their budgets and all of the things that they want to do in the state. So that is the giant, uh, that's the driving force uh, of charging sales tax for states. Online retailers are the ones that are required to collect and remit that sales tax to states. So a retailer like Amazon.com will, when calculating an amount due from a customer, add that sales tax on, collect it from the customer, and periodically remit that amount back to the state. So the, the online retailer is not really the one paying the sales tax, from their pocket, but they are, in fact, the the entity that is collecting and paying the sales and remitting the sales tax to the state. So if they fail to collect sales tax where it's due, the retailer is still responsible for remitting it to the state. So on audit, the state is more likely to go after an online retailer um, who needs to collect the money rather than the consumer who may owe a much smaller amount to the state for that sales tax. So, Professor, does that mean that in states that do have sales tax and the online retailer, somebody from that state is buying it? Yes. So, generally, um, vendors are required to register in states in which they do business. So, for instance, Amazon is a registered vendor here in Massachusetts. 
so when their customers buy, their customers located in Massachusetts buy something and have it shipped to Massachusetts, Amazon has to collect sales tax in Massachusetts. The question of this article and of this legislation, and that's the question of the day, I think, is whether or not that online retailer has to register as a vendor. There are a couple of constitutional questions. So if Amazon, for instance, doesn't have enough of a physical presence in Massachusetts for Massachusetts to impose a tax on them, that is, if Amazon is not availing itself to the benefits and burdens of the state's protections, then it may not be required to collect and remit sales tax in that state. And that is primarily the question that we're dealing with here both under the Due Process Clause and under the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, whether or not Amazon is required to collect and remit sales tax um, in individual states. So if Amazon, in states that, say, have a high sales tax and then on top of that, say, a municipal tax, do you think it's possible that Amazon would just be taking such a hit from the taxes where it would say, well, okay, we're not going to ship there? In fact, that's happened. There are a couple of states, um, New York and Illinois in particular, have had disagreements with Amazon. So New York has said, okay, if you have an affiliate seller in New York, so if there is a New York company, either brick and mortar or by website, that sells via Amazon, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I think when you click on a website and it takes you directly to it and it puts something in your Amazon cart mm -hmm. um, without you having to go to Amazon, we call that an affiliate seller, um, and those are located in states. Um, some states have tried to argue that affiliate sellers are enough for what we call nexus, that physical presence that's required to impose the sales tax on them. And Amazon has tried very hard to stay out of court and done a very good job doing that. So there's no real precedent here, but they've said, uh, they've threatened to say, okay, if you're going to charge me based on my affiliate relationships, I'm going to cut off all of my affiliate relationships, which would be a real hit to those in-state vendors that the state, in fact, wants to protect. So we're relying in determining whether or not a state can impose a sales tax on an online company like Amazon, we're relying on a case that was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court in 1992, which I speak about extensively in the article, which is um, the Quill case. Um, it was against the commission the, uh, against North Dakota, and it was a company that sold office supplies. And at the end of the day, the test there was whether the company had a physical presence under the Commerce Clause. And that physical presence in a state allowed the state to impose a sales tax. In the end, they decided the due process cost, which required some definite link, a minimum connection between the state and the property, was satisfied, but the Commerce Clause was not. It required substantial nexus, which has a four-part test, and boiled down to physical presence. So Amazon's argument is that if they don't have a physical presence, they are not required to collect sales tax. I think that it is the, the test of physical presence is um, increasingly obsolete if it's not completely obsolete already. When you think about the way that we conducted commerce um, as consumers and the way that retailers conducted commerce in 1992 as compared to now in 2014, it's been a world of difference. There were no smartphones. Um, the Internet was barely getting off the ground. Um, it, it was just a completely different world in terms of the way we conduct transactions. So I think that physical presence is an obsolete standard, um, and that's why I hope um, that there will be some change in standard. It's tricky, though, because this is sort of, um, this is done at the state level, so to get all states to act in concert is very difficult and requires federal action, particularly when it's a question of the Commerce Clause. Um, but getting the federal government 
um, to make a move that will impose more tax is incredibly tricky at this time and where we are in our politics and policy um, in the, at the federal level. Thank you, Professor. So based on what you're just saying about even getting federal action to happen and have all 50 states on the same page, let alone a few of them, could you tell us a little bit about the Marketplace Fairness Act of 2013 and maybe a couple of other solutions that you think are out there? That's a great question, um, and it has, of course, a very complicated answer, as many things in the world of sales tax do. So the thing that's of note of the Marketplace Fairness Act um, is that it was the first one um, to pass the Senate in the last session of Congress. Of course, now there's a new session of Congress, so they'll have to start all over. That or something, legislation like that, has been introduced in um, session after session of Congress. It's just in 2013, it passed one of the chambers. It never made it to the House, so it never went anywhere. But what it did was it really built on the Streamlined Sales Tax Program, which is called the SSTP, which is really an effort among, uh, there's a Streamlined Sales Tax Governing Board that is seeking to standardize definitions among states. It requires that states become members of the Streamlined Sales Tax Program and a vote of the legislature, uh, by vote of the legislature. And what it does is standardize definitions. It does many other things among that. But so far, about roughly half the states have joined. Uh, and the tricky part is, is that there's, there's a real advantage. States don't always want to do the same thing in terms of sales tax. For instance, we have ex exempted um, clothing from sales tax here in Massachusetts, hoping that people will come from neighboring states and buy a lot of clothing here. So it's states sort of play with their exemptions in order to generate additional revenue from surrounding states. New Hampshire has no sales tax at all, and so there are a lot of people who go to New Hampshire to buy everything. So it's, it's, it's a little bit more pronounced on the East Coast when states are closer together. But in general, when business entities and vendors um, and everyone is choosing a jurisdiction in which to, to operate, sometimes sales tax can be a factor in that. So states want to be able to distinguish themselves. Some states are reticent to be a part of a program where everything is standard because they think they might lose a competitive advantage. So even the politics of the streamlined sales tax agreement um, is complicated um, and and. The Marketplace Fairness Act, what it did was set out a, um, it said that either states had to become, to join the streamlined sales tax program, or could become an alternative state and set certain standardized definitions. Um, of course, this um, will need to be reintroduced in the next session of Congress, um, but the other thing that's of note is that um, the Supreme Court recently declined it well it did not grant certiorari um, to this case so um, the Supreme Court will not be taking it up again um, in, in the near future which is a little bit is, is I find I would be very excited to hear what the Supreme Court's thoughts okay professor um, in your article you mentioned that um, online retail giants like amazon.com have shown support for such attacks uh, even though it has been notorious for avoiding the collection of sales tax in many jurisdictions. Why do you think this is the case? That's a great question, Mike. Thank you. Amazon has been very deliberate um, since their founding in only having a physical presence in those states that they choose to pay sales tax. And so they've been very deliberate in their history trying to avoid sales tax. So it's very interesting that in the spring of 2013, they turned around and supported legislation. And it really has to do with them getting a competitive advantage. Amazon, I think, and I'm 
purely speculating here, has realized that paying sales tax in a number of jurisdictions is something of an inevitability. And their, their size and sophistication allows them to do that in a much more efficient way than some of their competitors that are smaller and less sophisticated. So Amazon, especially, particularly when they are not actually bearing the burden of the sales tax, where they can get a competitive advantage over other online retailers or brick-and-mortar retailers in their systems that do collect and remit this sales tax, they're willing to take that, whether it's in the form of sales tax or lower prices. So it's really about their competitive advantage more than their support of the, the constitutional principles underlying <laughs> underlying the collection um, of sales tax. Thank you so much, Professor. And finally, where and when can our listeners read your article on this topic? Great. Um, this article will be featured in the Oklahoma City University Law Review in the 2014 summer issue, volume 39-2. And I'm very excited. They're a wonderful publication. They've been a delight to work with. So, again, thank you for joining us, Professor. And look out for Professor Variani's article, again, entitled Taxing Electronic Commerce, the Efforts of Sales and Use Tax to Evolve with Technology, which will be featured in the Oklahoma City University Law Review 2014 summer issue. Forthcoming with our print publication, there will be information about Volume 48, Book 1, and also upcoming information about Volume 48, Book 2. Also, look for Volume 48, which will be available in ebook format, and you can see more information about that on our website. And our website, again, is newinglrev.com. That's N-E-W-E-N-G-L-R-E-V.com. And forthcoming with our online publication on remand, we have Professor Jordan Singer of New England Law Boston writing a book review on the Honorable Judge Richard Posner's book, Reflections on Judging. And we also have the SJC criminal cases Commonwealth v. Brown and Commonwealth v. Mogulinski launching issue two of the Massachusetts Criminal Digest. I'm Volume 48 Editor-in-Chief Mike Martucci. And I'm Volume 48 Executive Online Editor Louisa Gibbs. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from the New England Law Review on Remand podcast.